Hello, my name is Sir Knight, and I'll be having a conversation with Eddie Jarrell Jones for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is May 29, 2019, and this is being recorded at Mid-Manhattan Library. Eddie, we're so happy to have you here. The New York City Trans Oral History Project is a community archive of transgender resistance, resilience, and survival in New York City. Black Trans TV's goal is to share the narratives of people who live, love, and look just like us. This interview is a collaboration between Black Trans TV and the New York Public Library to highlight the brilliant oral history of black folks of trans experience. So, Eddie, thank you for coming today. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, can you please start with your name and your pronouns? Well, hello. <laughs> my name is Eddie Jarrell Jones, and my pronouns are they and them. Awesome. Um, so I like to start off the interviews with what life was like for you as a baby. So tell me about baby Eddie. Well, baby Eddie doesn't remember anything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, being a baby, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, more specifically a part of the greater Cleveland area, Warrensville Heights, Ohio. It's literally like a suburb right outside of Cleveland. So like the end of my street is literally technically Cleveland. Like I could have been to Cleveland schools. So, um, I went. I lived. I lived in the same house from the time I was born, literally, all the all the way until now. My mom still owns that house. I still go home and visit. It's been a while, which is like so crazy to me. I haven't been home in a year. I've been living in New York for one year, but um, growing up in Cleveland, Ohio was rough. Like it was rough, man. Um, there wasn't any space to be yourself. There wasn't anyone that I could really relate to on a personal level other than like familial relationships or like friendships of course I could relate to those people um, because we had similar economic and environmental experiences but as far as like who I was deep down inside I really didn't have anybody that was like me or that I could see that was like me so that was rough I was in the closet until my freshman year in college which like literally coincides with not having that space back home um so I really didn't have that many friends. I was always a friendly person. I always had people that, you know, I could hang out with. But people that I could, like, consider my day ones, I really didn't have that um, at a young age. Uh, I kind of had, like, a group of guy friends that our moms were close. So we were just around each other a lot. Like, um, I played Little League, baseball, funny story about that. Uh, I hated it. <laughs> That's the story. Yes. No, I'm just um, it was one time I was playing in a game and they would always put me in left field or right field because I wasn't about to run around and do anything like that. So I um, just laid out in the middle of the field <laughs> on my back and I was so, I was just looking at the sky. I don't even like grass like that, but I was over it. So um, that was my last game. Then we started uh, bowling. Like, we had, like, a little bowling team. And the group of guys that I was cool with, I'm still cool with them till this day. I still see them. We went to, like, the same high schools. Um, we find each, like, like we'll find each other at the same, like, parties or kickbacks. And we speak. We talk. We kiki. Well, they don't call it kiki. But, you know, we yeah, catch yeah. up. And that's that. And they're, like, really cool about everything. But I really met my group of friends that I still have to this day, which we call ourselves the crew. I met them in high school. Um. I met my one best friend in eighth grade. We lived together here in New York. We both moved from Cleveland. We basically like traveled this whole world living together in Berlin 25. So that's pretty fun. But um, yeah, I have those group of girls. I met them in high school and they became like 
my safe space. They always knew who I was, but I still was never open with them about my sexuality and how I felt about my gender identity. But they didn't care. Like, they just loved me for me. They let me do me. They let me mind my business and have all of the fun in the world. I would try on their cheerleading uniforms and we would we would all have fun. It was like, I was just one of the girls. Mm-hmm. It was like, they will always be like, Eddie's just Eddie, but not like meaning it in a derogatory way, like more so like, we're not, like, they didn't even classify me as a boy because that's not how I acted. That's not how they saw me. So mm-hmm. I think that's why we're all still friends to this day. And that's why, like, they just, they're, like, experiencing this transformation with me. And they're, like, loving it. Because they're like, finally, bitch, finally. But, um, yeah, growing up, my family, I really wasn't that close to my cousins because I'm in the middle. So it was, like, you have the entire group of first cousins and I'm like the youngest of the youngest. So there was already a youngest. And then years later came me. And then all of my first cousins had kids. So I'm not close enough to their kids. I'm like, they were done clubbing by the time yeah. I was like in high school. Like, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I really wasn't able to experience like growing up with them. So I was kind of like a lone wolf in my family sort of to say i mean everyone loves me we all support each other don't get me wrong but as far as having those like tight 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 bonds with your cousins i don't um there are a few that you know we do have tight bonds but it's like more so of a like i was their baby it's not like a girl remember when we was at that we was running the streets it's not like that so i wasn't able to grow up with them and allow them to get to know me growing up um because they just have business to take care of yeah do you have siblings so oh. I do have, I have a sister okay. and we're 15 years apart. Oh, copy. That's yeah, why you yeah. say cousins instead yeah. of, okay, gotcha. So, so I have a sister, we're 15 years apart um, on my dad's side. I'm my mom's only child, but I mean, my sister, my mom and dad divorced at a very early age. So that's an important part. Yeah. <laughs> they divorced when I was like three and a half or like three, one of those two. So they, um, my dad and my sister moved out and then it was me and my mom. So it was very like single parent home. Dad lives in Cleveland. Sister lives with my dad. So we we got closer as we got older gotcha. because um, we were able to build a bond outside of our parents. So now me and my sister are like this. Ever since I could do anything by myself, I was always with her. So we were always like this. Um, I love her down, but like she always knew. But again, she just more so respected me and not like forcing me to disclose information or be somebody that I wasn't necessarily comfortable being in the space that I was in. So that was like baby Eddie. That was like very, um, you know, in the closet, wearing hot topic because, you know, it was a little spicy. It was a little spicy, but it wasn't too much. You know, might not get clocked. But uh, I mean, I was, I, I would get clocked from left and right. I never really had any traumatic bullying experiences, but I did get bullied. It was more so like, um, teasing jokes like um people want to call you fag they want to call you the gay boy they want to call you um a punk soft sweet all of those things didn't really bother me i wasn't somebody that was really bothered by words i don't know how i don't i don't know where i got that mindset from because it's not like i had this like traumatic upbringing where it's like oh i just got this tough skin i'm just naturally a person that just really doesn't care that much. <laughs> so I just be like, all right. And, I mean, it hurt because it's like, dag, I just want people to be chill. Like, yeah. why can't you just be chill? So that's a lot of reasons why I um, was in the closet as well is because like, it was just like, 
I just feel like it shouldn't be that deep to like me to come out like, oh, this is it. Everybody's already like teasing me, calling me this. What am I about to come out for? Like, yeah, well, that, that's something that I find interesting, right? Is that when you're different, you have to come out, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, everyone else is just who they are, and it's associated like heterosexuality yeah. is associated with who they are naturally, right? Like, yeah, and it's why like, do we have to come out? Why can't I just discover who I am? Because honestly, I think a lot of heterosexual people are still trying to figure out who they are. Yeah. But this is assumed boys like girls, girls like boys. So that's the route you're going. But then mm-hmm. if people see anything feminine in a boy, they're like, ah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I hate per- when perhaps, people do that. But perhaps that little boy is just feminine. Yeah. Right? And that could be his thing. Like, yeah. he, could, he could be ready to marry his wife and have 50 kids and live an honest life and make yeah. an honest living and be fully themselves and... Love flowers and love sure. pink, which all of these things have been gendered. They really have no yeah. freaking gender. Like dances, smells, color tones, none of that has gender. For That's, sure. It's all BS. And in terms of visibility, what difference do you think that would have made for you as a young Eddie? Like mm-hmm. in elementary school, middle school, seeing somebody who was gender fluid and just free and who maybe shifted from a male aesthetic to a fem aesthetic, like, mm-hmm. or a masculine to a fem aesthetic. Mm-hmm. How would that have changed things for you? I think yeah. if I w- would have been able to experience or see someone that I could relate to mm-hmm. um, and have that presence, whether it be on TV or whether it had been, like, a teacher or somebody that worked at a coffee shop, just somebody in my life that I could see, hopefully more than once, mm-hmm. um, I think I would have started wearing my mom's heels out the house way younger. Yeah. Because <laughs> I would always, oh, that's another thing. I will always wear my mom's shoes. Like, once I became a latchkey kid, I would let myself in the house, and I would just, like, wear my mom's clothes. I would wear her shoes. She never knew. I would never touch the makeup because I always tell people makeup is hell to clean up. So, and I knew I, I just, she was going to know. It was going to be glitter somewhere. It was going to be something on my face. She was going to say, what? And that was going to be a dead giveaway. Yeah. So I used to wear her clothes and stuff all the time. I used to wear her shoes all the time. And now people are like, you know how to walk your heels better than girls. And I'm like, I've been doing this since I was like 10, 12, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Mastering the stairs, the strut, oh, everything. Wow. Not playing with nobody. Stilettos, block heels. That's awesome. Um, but on the the topic of visibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you do a lot of media and, and representation and things of that nature. Um, perhaps we can get a little bit into that. Tell people who you are, what you do. Um, and why that's important now that you're on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. So Baby Eddie didn't have the visibility of people like yourself, and right. now you are that for little boys and girls out there. Mm-hmm. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about what you do. I would love to. Yes. Um, so I moved to New York City in 2018 in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been out of school for almost a year, about 10 months I had been out of school. I graduated from the Lincoln University, the first HBCU. In Pennsylvania, <laughs> and I graduated with a degree in mass communication and digital broadcast, and I minored in English. Okay, um, smart girl. So I got home. Well, actually, I graduated high school, and I was already working at Fox Twenty Nine Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, I had interned there a few times. Then I they hired me for a subcontracted position where I would be uh, managing the social media of one of their in-house entertainment shows, the Q Show. So I did that, and the contract was over in about July. So then I went home in August, and I was home until March. And while I was home, I was just going crazy, and I was trying to figure out, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to make an impact? I had this TV reel 
um, where I had done like interviews and stuff as an intern and I covered Philly Fashion Week because I'm always like a go-getter. I'm always going above and beyond doing stuff I'm not really supposed to be doing, but I just, I needed to benefit me. Um, so I had this reel and I, it was, it was cool. It was dope. I was wearing makeup, but I wasn't really necessarily femme presenting. I was more so doing like TV makeup with a lash. So it, I just, I felt like it was cute for what it was in that moment, but it wasn't really what I wanted to present to the world and what I wanted people to see me represent. You know what I'm saying? Like myself, like if I'm, if, if I want to other, if I wanted to have that type of representation, when I was younger, I have to be fully myself and represent myself in that nature so that other people can have what I didn't have. Mm. So I was home and I decided that I wanted to move to New York and that because that's where I could see a majority of people that were like me, people that I liked, uh, were. And they were doing the work. You know, people were in L.A., but the majority is here. So... I moved out here and I got in contact with Slay TV and so many other outlets like the Fluid Project and so many different um, companies and networks that really support the LGBTQ plus community and really want to highlight queer, gender fluid and trans voices. So I got in with them and I just started working really hard being as, being as available as I could. And what I hope that does for people that are watching. Because I get messages in my DMs all the time. I get messages in my email all the time. I got my email on Instagram, which is annoying sometimes, but I mean, it's there. I need it for bookings. But um, you really see a lot of people saying, wow, I never thought that I could do this wearing makeup. I get a lot of like young boys or young gender fluid uh, queer youth. And they're like, I never, I never thought that I could really do what I wanted to do. It was just always a dream. And I'm just like, really? Like it's 2019. You can do whatever you want to do. But when you're not someone that, um, is able to experience different things, like going to college in Eastern Pennsylvania, like 45 minutes away from Philadelphia, I was able to see a different way of life. I saw how normal certain things were and they just weren't that way back home in Cleveland. And I'm like, if I'm from Cleveland, that's like one of the top 20 metropolitan cities in the world. If, I'm from here. There are a million other people from, you know, the countryside, from, you know, places that are way less fortunate, have way less um, exposure to the arts and, and, and to people that are just being free and not just living this routine lifestyle that's like been set up for them. So that's really what I hope that people and mainly the youth. I love my youth. I hope that my queer and trans youth can really look at the things that I'm doing and look at the things that a lot of genderqueer and trans and LGBTQ plus and people of color, I have to add that in there. Um, I love for them to see what we're doing and I really hope that they can see themselves in that and say, I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna just do it now, I'm gonna go for it. That's one thing that I love about visibility and I'm very proud to be a part of it is because I just hope that somebody else can identify who they are way sooner in life. Like you don't have to wait. I was what, like 18, 19? You don't have to wait until you're 18, 19. You can do that when you're younger because you miss out on certain experiences like going to the store with your good, good girlfriends and trying on makeup and trying on perfumes and trying on different clothing. And then you like, you're 18, 19, and then you're like, oh yeah, well, this is who I am. This is how I want to present. And it's like, you're, you have to start like you're a 13 year old girl. And then you have to like grow in that. And um, it's so funny since I moved here, because uh, even when I was back home, I really didn't wear hair. And once I moved here, I started experimenting in hair more. And mm-hmm. I, I love it. Yes. So um, I want to talk about that. It's been a crazy <laughs> year for you. It's been a crazy year. And it's so funny because, like, even you, 
you said on um, so many different occasions, oh my God, like, I'm just watching you grow up. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, it's like happening it's so in my beautiful. eyes too. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. So yeah, that's what I really hope people in the youth can really grasp when they see the work that we're here trying to do is that, you know, explore you way sooner. Mm-hmm. Identify who you are way sooner. Experience yourself in all of your different beautiful many facets sooner so that you can just start to grow into who you are. For sure. Um, I know you said you wanted to move to New York City. So mm-hmm. who inspired you? And like, because you said there are certain people that you saw, mm-hmm. you saw yourself through them, right? Mm-hmm. So could you name some of those people that inspired you? And you said New York City is where I need to be because I yeah. see so-and-so doing their thing and I need to come in here and do my thing too. I got you. Yeah. So um, I hate that I keep saying um, yes, but... <laughs> I I got into a email thread with Slay TV when I was back home after I had come home from Fox 29 in Philadelphia. I was home and I was just emailing, 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 and I got in touch with them and we started a thread and they were like, hey, we would love for you to come out. And they didn't know I lived in Cleveland and because um, I still had like my Philadelphia address on there and everything. So they were like, yeah, we would love for you to come on up to like Black Pride. This was 2017. And we just want to get some coverage. We want to do some interviews. We want to get like some fun, funny moments. And I'm like, perfect. So I sent them my reel. So I went up there and I drove nine hours all the way to New York City with my best friend Shay. And I went to the gig. That's where I met Sean Torrington and uh, Terry Torrington. And I was able to work for Slate TV in that moment. And that whole day, it was just an experience being able to see everybody on Coney Island, being themselves, living in their best moment. And I was there doing what I wanted to do. But it's so funny. I was wearing this leotard because it was on the beach. I was wearing this leotard with a pair of shorts. And I just felt so at home. And I told uh, my CEO, literally as we're leaving the event, I'm like, I'm moving to New York City next year. I'm coming here. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. And I want to do this with Slay TV. So, um... Months after that, they just, they, he didn't even know that I had, like, driven up from Cleveland. Like, when I told him, he was like, oh, you about to go home? I'm like, yeah, we got a long trip back to Cleveland. He's like, what? So he booked me for a few more events, and I kept my word, and I moved out here in March. And um, that's really, like, I always say, Slate TV is the reason that I moved to New York, because I was going to move to L.A. I was going to move to L.A., and I was going to be a bougie girl, and I was like, I'm going to get some followers, I'm going to get on red carpets, and and that's not really how it played out. And once I got to New York and I was able to see how Slay functioned and how um, the different media outlets like Black Trans TV and like all of my non-binary, gender fluid, trans uh, people of color and friends that I've met, I'm like, this is where I need to be because this is where we're getting the work done. And, and when you move to New York, what people don't understand, you can move to wherever you want to move to, but you, if you want to do anything in media entertainment or anything that involves a sickening hustle, you need to move to New York first. You need to get beat down. You need to grow up. And then you can go somewhere else and slay the game because you will leave New York with a hustle like none other. Like, the city never stops. Like, it does sleep because you have to or else you will get burned out. But it doesn't stop. So while you're sleeping, somebody else's dreams are coming true. So it really teaches you, um, like, this intense hustle um, What's the word I'm looking for? Hustle mentality. Mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And and you really 
get to the money and you get yeah. to your goals. So where that's that, what. Where did that hustle come from, though? Like, my mom. Okay, <laughs> because I know that you said that you you know you grew up and she kind of raised you as a single mom. Mm-hmm. So you, you saw her hustle. Yeah, that that's it? all she did was hustle. Gotcha. My mom has so much going on. It was it was a really um, trying time in her life, like me growing up, my adolescence, and it wasn't my fault, but it was just life was happening at that period and point of her life and I was growing up watching that so I was able to see her hustle my mom um I went from just you know seeing her you know six seven figures I don't know which one it was at that age but I know the girl was making coin and um the recession happened and she got laid off and this is when I was like maybe she got laid off the first time maybe I was like eight or nine or no maybe I was younger and I just she started you know her side business where she hustled and she uh, planned events and she sang, like my mom is an immaculate singer. She's a soprano, so she would sing at events. She was an event planner. And she was just really getting some money. She was um, doing like marketing for people, marketing for companies, all while, you know, looking for that next position and that next opportunity. She got a great opportunity, like a year later, got laid off from that because, you know, the recession was terrible. Yeah. So, um, you know... It was just a lot. It was it was credit card bills went way up and you know I would always be afraid to ask for like new shoes. My mom would kill me because I just didn't want to I didn't want to be a bother. I didn't want to add to the problem. So I would never ask for new shoes. I would let my shoes be way too tight. I wouldn't really ask for new clothes. I that wasn't my thing at all growing up at all. It wasn't until probably like maybe college until I got into fashion cuz I was in the space to do so. But um it was rough. And then in the midst of all of that, like literally in the midst of those years of two layoffs, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Like she didn't get diagnosed and the cancer grew and got worse. She got diagnosed when she was about to die. Like she got diagnosed with stage four kidney cancer. Um, I think she came home for a week and they had her scheduled the next week for surgery, like to remove her kidney. Cause they were like, if you leave this hospital and your kidney burst, that's it because it's just going to spread everywhere like it's, the cancer is just going to spread everywhere in your body mm. so she um she was dealing with all of that and through all of that looked good you know was always a nice person was always kind and she hustled like we i i wouldn't have known what was going on if i wasn't so damn nosy but i was nosy and i was the only child and i was a lot like my mother so i talked a lot and she talks a lot so i knew a lot that was going on but um I think that's another thing parents have to remember, that kids can handle information. You don't have to tell them, like, oh, what you're afraid of. But kids can handle information because I was able to watch my mother literally hustle and understand what was going on, you know? So that was um, that was where I learned most of my hustle from. And then she stayed active in all of her organizations in church, choir, uh school board like she just was always an active person she she didn't let anything get her down so that's where i got my hustle from but how is she doing now she's amazing she's that girl she's president of the school board in warrensville heights ohio so proud of her uh amazing job she is still event planning she's getting her llc now um she's taking everything to the next level she's like she's lit and i just i can't wait to give her the things that she gave me when it comes to like support and investing in somebody that you really believe in. So yeah, that's where I learned my hustle from. That's beautiful. Um, I want to talk more about going to HBCU oh. and being non-binary <laughs> and yeah. then you saying that you discovered 
yourself there mm-hmm. in terms of like fashion and things like that. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I've been having conversations with people like, should we advocate for black, you know, trans queer people to go to HBCUs because the toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. and, you know, homophobia and transphobia. So I'm just really interested in how that worked for you. And yeah, just just give me a little background. Got story. you. Yes, please. Well, first, I will say I definitely think that we should continue uh, advocating for our queer youth to enroll in HBCUs mm-hmm. because the honesty of the situation is college is college no matter where you go. You're going to experience terrible things if that is what people want to do, no matter who they are, what race and in, in, in gender and color they are. I do know that, you know, in the black community, there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of reasons why queer people stay away. And a lot of it comes from the black church and the hood and just the whole, our whole systematic racism effects and consequences that we have to carry. Uh, it just really plays into one in a stray away. But you can also find some of the most supportive people. And that's really how I was able to come into myself. When I first got there, me and my best friend, we went to Lincoln University together. And we went on a track scholarship. And uh, at track practice one day, this girl, Bianca, she was just like, I guess I wasn't there, but she was with the girls team. And she was just like, yeah, Eddie, you know, the gay boy, da, 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 da. And my best friend was like, who? And she's like, did he say that? Because I wasn't out yet. So she's like, what, girl? Like, I didn't think he was in the closet. She's like, no, well, if he didn't say it, that's not the tea. So (laughs) literally, like, the next day, I heard what had happened. And I went up to Bianca, or she came up to me. I can't really remember. But we had the conversation. And from that point on, I was just out. It's like I didn't necessarily come out to anybody at my college because it was so soon of me getting there. Like, nobody really knew me. So I just, I just decided, well, if this girl can peep it and it's like not this huge deal or anything, I'm in a new space. I'm in a new point in my life. Why, why not just start over? So I just was myself from that point on. When people would ask, I'd be like, yeah, or I wouldn't say anything. And that it would just serve as a yes because it's like it's not your business. But um, that is how I kind of inched myself out of the closet. Then I, of course, called family, called my best friends, and told some people over that first Thanksgiving. And the person that I waited the longest was my dad. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how my HBCU helped me in that point. It, it allowed me to meet somebody that um really was comfortable with themselves to think that I was comfortable with myself because they liked what I was given. And then we ended up being friends to this day. I just saw this girl like a week ago. I was in Philly. So um, through that, I was able to join a modeling troupe and I was able to express myself there, but that was also very controversial because they were very uh, very heteronormative. So they wouldn't let boys walk in heels. Only girls could walk in heels. Mind you, I was the runway director for girls. Yeah. So I'm teaching the girls how to walk, but I can't myself go on stage and mm-hmm. pump in pumps. So that was like very, very, very um, disheartening. And that was hard to deal with. But I did it. I put my boot straps on and pumped and taught them how to pump and what else did it do it allowed me to kind of see the sports really wasn't for me i was using sports as an outlet i was good at it but i was using it as an outlet and kind of like a cover-up so that people could identify me more with track and field than who i was Mm -hmm. it was kind of like a mask i was still i was able to be myself but not have anybody question me it's like they could 
be comfortable in focusing on, oh, yeah, he runs track, not like, oh, yeah, the gay boy. So my HBCU allowed me to meet a lot of girls, a lot of guys that were just comfortable with who I was. And as I was in college and grew in college, I began to wear makeup, probably maybe my sophomore or junior year. I got my makeup done for a show that we had, and I was just like, Oh, this is the look. So I started wearing makeup then. That was probably like 2014, 2015. And then I, again, never wore hair. But the first time I ever got up in drags was in college. And that was like my senior year. I did five years. So that was my first senior year. And it's okay. It's I got okay. I got in full drag, like 22-inch lace front, um, like stripper heels that were like oh, wow. nine inches yeah. and i was the black mosquito barbie that was like when the black mosquito barbie had first come out and they had like previewed it and it was this big thing and i literally made the outfit it was identical everybody loved it and i got the looks from people like oh does he want to be a girl now and da, 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 da. all because i just had on clothes shoes hair and makeup and I had to explain to people like well first of all no. Second of all, this is Spirit Week, and you know everybody's playing dress up. But you're saying that because you know who I am, and you're trying to put pieces together that just don't match. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time that I got up in drags. But then again, a lot of people were very supportive. A lot of people were like, "Yes, baby, you are beat, and da 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 da. Your hair looks amazing," which it did. Yeah. I don't know about beat. <laughs> I, I I don't know about beat, but I know my hair looked good. Yeah. The same girl that did, does my hair now, she did my hair then. Um, it's my friend so, Bianca's so sister. it looked perfect then. Yeah. Yeah. The hair yeah. was the hair yeah. was fab. I know that for a fact. But the makeup, I don't really know. So, um, yeah, my my HBCU really helped me gain a good consciousness of how the world would be because you had people that stare, you had people that would talk behind my back, but then you also had people that were very supportive. And I'm like, well, if this is how it is, if this HBCU, I know I can go out there and tackle the world because I know my people. So that was that was life at HBCU for me, but I was able to grow. Mm-hmm. Most HBCUs are like arts schools, but you just don't say anything because everybody yeah. is so damn talented. Yeah. So um, I mean, black is brilliant. Right? I mean, black is brilliant. Yeah. So I was able to experience all of that, and yeah, I would definitely advocate for our queer people of color and our youth to definitely enroll in an HBCU. Find the right one for you. You have there are HBCUs now that have repu- uh, reputations of being like. Oh, you know, a lot of gay boys go there, which I don't necessarily agree with or feel like it's okay, but I think the stigmas with HBCUs are changing a little bit Mm -hmm. and it's forcing the students and the faculty to see what's happening. And there's still a lot of issues, still a lot of problems. I know with a lot of our trans women and trans men when it comes to fraternities and sororities and certain organizations that have um, gender rules or that BS, it's, it's still hard, but it's a journey. I mean, Spelman um, College is now accepting trans women, but mm-hmm. it's problematic because they're saying they have to be post-op. Yes, yeah, which, you can't and then, do that. Yeah, and then you have Morehouse saying- Because operations yeah. don't validate your gender identity at all. It doesn't. It they doesn't. Don't. It's super problematic. So we're, we're trying to work with eradicating that whole um, litigation that they have going on at Spelman College. But then also Morehouse just announced that they're allowing a men of trans experience to come to the to the university and there's no you know litigation like you have to do this you have to do that it's just like if you identify as male you can go so i don't know i think it's definitely a shift that's another thing no that's another thing when it comes to like men being granted certain things that women aren't Mm. it's like even though you're trans yes that's that's one quote-unquote strike but then it's like well if you're a trans man 
okay, come on in. But then you're a trans woman and it's like, well, you got to pass this test. You got to qualify here. You got to do that. You got to check that off. You got to check that off. You got to check that off for you to be considered in this situation. And that's so unfair. Well, let's talk about that. Right? The standard of beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, well, I know women are held to a certain standard. Like if you don't look a certain way, especially if, if you are trans and queer, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not passable or attractive, then mm-hmm. people aren't going to accept you as much. Like, do you think that there is... Um, something that happens within the community even and, and beyond the community, right? So, like, people are like, oh, you're, I don't know if I'm okay with your transness because you don't really look like that, but then, oh, you're slaying, you're doing your thing, so right. I, I'm going to embrace you. And then even society, greater society embraces you as well. Um, how do you feel about the standard of beauty? Do you feel like you're, you feel pressured to look a certain way when you go femme? When you put on face, when you put on hair, do you mm-hmm. feel that pressure to look a certain way, or are you just giving Eddie? Mm-hmm. Eddie just slays. That's so just I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. I do feel the pressure. Ooh, I just sat on my hair. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of beauty, talk about the inches. Talk about the inches. <laughs> so I, um, I do. I, I definitely feel the pressure. It's stressful at times, and I would honestly say it's been up until recent, like maybe the last three or four months like of this year I finally feel comfortable like if I have on hair not feeling the need to completely beat my face because I need to pull off this hyper femme um look in order to be like not bothered and just to feel like okay people aren't staring okay people are gonna say I look nice okay I can just go through my day minding my business and it's been until recent and it's been like a lot of people that I've been around that I've just been able to see how they function and move through life and see how people interact with them and see how they see themselves. And I'm like, so this is all in my head. And it's like, it really is. The world really tries to plant seeds in your head and they do grow, but you just have to make sure you're watering the right ones and throwing out the wrong ones. So there's de- there's a huge, huge pressure put on uh, people that are gender fluid but present femme or non-binary femmes and trans women because you are literally put in a space where it's like if you aren't looking just like a woman there could be nothing but violence coming your way there could be nothing but wrath coming your way you can have access taken away from so many things like literally like housing and insurance and being able to serve the military and and when you're seen as passable it's like people don't even question it they just think okay you can just do whatever you want to do like a regular person so that's where a lot of that pressure comes from it's just wanting to live life and be free and have the same rights and equality as everybody else. But that's still not right because you have a lot of women and it's no shade to cis women, but you have a lot of cis women that don't wear makeup. They don't wear eyeliner. They don't get their hair done. They don't care if their outfits match. And that is okay. That's fine. You shouldn't have to. If that's not what you're into, don't be into it. You might have a spotless house. I don't. I like making sure I look good. You know what I'm saying? So everyone has different things that they enjoy doing and, and how they enjoy presenting themselves, whether it be in the house or out of the house. And I just feel like people should just be able to be granted and access the same things in the world, no matter how they look and no matter what, how beautiful you think they are or not. Because I have plenty of people tell me, oh my God, you should just wear hair and no makeup. You look so pretty. You look so femme. And I'm looking at myself like, Mm, are you sure? Then I have so many people like, oh my God, girl, you are beat. You look so good. Da, 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 da. So it's really just like a constant mental battle with yourself and 
and really looking in the mirror and getting comfortable with who you are. And I think even cis women, cis men, trans men, gender fluid people, no matter who you are, you have to go through that um, coming of age when it comes to beauty and, and how you see yourself on the spectrum of beauty. Like, do you see it from the inside out? Do you see it from the outside in? If so, you know, what does that mean for you? Is it fashion? Is it makeup? Is it hair? Uh, some people really view beauty as personality and in, in, in how you make other people feel. Mm -hmm. So you really have to come to terms with beauty within, and then you can portray yourself in the beautiful way you see fit. But yeah, there's still a lot of pressure put on trans women and gender fluid femmes. Yeah, and on that note, um, when it comes to dating, right? Mm -hmm. Because you are non-binary, mm -hmm. you don't always present as femme. Right. So how is that navigating the dating scene where you are non-binary? And some days you might feel like, I just want to be Eddie and then I want to be Milan. Like, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, who are you today in this relationship and what are you going to give? So mm -hmm. how is dating for you? Dating for me, well, I'll tell you one thing. I haven't dated since I got to New York. I've met people. We've we've talked, and but I've never, like, consistently dated. Like, I've never gone on a date with anybody in New York, nothing like that. Just maybe, like, one or two hookups. But that ain't a date. I'm going to let y'all know right now, that's not a date. Uh, the last time I was in a relationship, my boyfriend, he was accepting of it all. Like, I could wear hair, I could wear makeup, I could have no haircut, I could have a fresh fade. He didn't care. He was in love with me. And that's one of the things that I am going to take with me no matter what relationship I'm in, is that the person that I'm with has to be in love with me, the person inside, like the personality. They have to laugh at the jokes because I'm going to be the most annoying person if you're not laughing at the joke. They have to understand how I process thoughts. They have to understand how I come to conclusions. They have to understand that sometimes I'm going to jump to conclusions. Like they really have to love me for me because I am going to be a different person every day. I'm just one of those two-spirited people that one day it's over here and one day it's over there and I'm not going to control it and I'm not going to put myself down or dim my light to make somebody else feel comfortable or to please someone else's attraction. You know what I'm saying? And it's really easy. It's, people think it's not, but it's so easy to like filter out the people that want to deal with you because it's just like a sexual attraction or sometimes it's like a fetish. And it's like, I just steer clear of those people. I really don't put myself in those situations because I just keep myself busy in my career and that takes up all my time. So dating right now was like, I know go, but uh, it's, I don't think that it's going to be that hard for me to date, to find people today, maybe. But once I'm dating, I'm really good at like peeping energy and making sure that somebody's really in it to win it. So that's dating while you're non-binary. You have to find somebody that is going to love you for you, not for your appearance not for beauty, not for anything other than your personality and your heart, because that's the only thing that's going to stay the same, you know? Yeah. Um, and on that note, I know that a lot of uh, women of trained experience and, you know, non-binary femmes are harassed and harmed and murdered because of their appearance. Um, people have a desire for them, an attraction towards them sexually. Mm -hmm. And then if they do emotionally get involved with them, they feel away, right, mm -hmm. about their manhood. Right. So do you ever feel scared? I, I know that we've communicated before mm -hmm. about things, but I, I never really asked you, like, do you actually feel scared when you put on your makeup, when you put on your wig, and you go mm -hmm. present your best self mm -hmm. because you present a threat to other people's insecure masculinity? Right. You know what I mean? Right. 
Heck yeah, like definitely. I'm yeah. not even gonna lie. I think a lot of people are like, no, because it's gonna ha-. like no, 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 no. I'm gonna be honest. I'm a human being. It is scary as hell. Even when you move to a city like New York City, everybody thinks that oh, this is just the land of the free and the land of the brave, and that's not the tea. It's just a lot of people here hustling. That's all. That's the only thing. It's not even a cute situation. It's very gritty, and um. Like, for example, I was followed on the train one time. It was, I was coming back from Atlanta, and I had to go to a gig. I had an interview that I had to do with Slay. And I was the last one there, and I had to go all the way to the last stop in Harlem, which is, like, what way, like, what better way to tell this story? Like, I was going to the last stop in Harlem. So, (laughs) and I was getting followed on the train. So, it was like, I got to stay on this train. So, I was on the train, and this guy just kind of was trying to, like, the train had stopped. And it was on a delay, so the doors were open. It was on the platform, and the doors stay open until it's time for it to go, just in case, you know, people have to, like, evacuate or leave or do anything. So this guy just kept walking past, and I had my head down. I'm going over my questions. I'm making sure everything's organized. And I see him trying to, like, signal me, like, to look at him or to give him attention. So I look up because, you know, I may know the person. So I look up. I don't know him. So I look, and then he, like, signals me to get off the train. So I just shake my head, no, I put my head down. First thing, that is one of the scariest moments when a male is like catcalling you or signaling you and you are a person of trans experience anywhere under the trans umbrella because you don't know if that no, like it could literally be as simple as a no. Mm -hmm. A no could flip somebody off and they just are violent towards you. And it's like a really scary situation because it's like, do I go listen to what this person has to say? Like, of course, I'm not getting off the train, but, like, if I'm walking down the street, do I stop to listen to what this person is going to say? Because if I keep walking, they may get violent towards me or they may try to follow me and not leave me alone. Or if I do talk to this person, what if they didn't, you know, clock my T and then they clock my T when I'm talking to them and then they haul off and cut me or they haul off and hit me or beat me up or whatever or get me jumped or rob me? You never know. So um, somebody could be trying to set you up. So... He ended up getting on the train as soon as my train was about to pull off. He was not getting on my train before. He was waiting on another one. So he came and stood over me. I'm standing, I'm sitting in the corner. And he just he's standing over me. And I'm just like gagging. I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I don't have service. I can't tell anybody to meet me like at the station so that we can walk together back to back to the set. And I just literally was sweating bullets. And I was literally Almost no makeup. Just had, like, my eyebrows done, a little light, like, everyday foundation. And I had my hair on. And I'm just sitting there. And I'm just, like, really nervous because I'm only, like, 125 pounds. The wind could blow me over. And this guy just was, like, he he kept trying to talk to me. So I had my headphones in. I'm not talking to him. I'm not talking to him. And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, he's going to get off of this train. He's going to follow me. Or, he, or he's waiting until it's, like, not that many people around so he can do something. So I'm like trying to text and I was finally able to text my producer and tell him what was going on. And I'm like being very clear what I'm doing. Like, I want you to see the message so you can understand like this isn't going how it's going. So there are so many situations that happen. And um, he ended up getting off the like off the train to stop before I got off because, you know, a lot of trains will let you off in the same area that you're going to be in. But I guess he really thought that I was going to talk to him and, and he was he was he was high or something. But it was just a really nerve-wracking experience. And even when I'm, like, leaving my house sometimes, uh, I cross the street if it's, like, a huge group of guys. I think that's something all girls do no matter what. And even some people that just don't, like, walk through groups of people. But for me and my experience and my perspective, 
I'm like walking through this group of toxicity, mm-hmm. like yeah. <laughs> toxic masculinity. Yeah. And if they clock my tea, if they don't clock my tea, it's going to be a problem either way. Mm-hmm. But I'm not somebody that's out here trying to walk through life as passable as possible. That's not my goal. My goal is to just express myself. So I'm always expecting people to know and understand everything that's going on with my presentation and know what's going on with me. So I just expect the worst in a lot of situations. And I cross the street because I just don't have time. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> everything everything I have on costs money. It could be $2. <laughs> it could be $2, yes. but it costs money. And I'm not about to waste my time, energy, and coin on a situation that I can avoid. Is that fair to me? No. I shouldn't have to cross the street and then cross back over when I get to the um, sidewalk. But, I mean, it is what it is. And a lot of guys, like, um, during the summertime, I'm walking down my block, whether I'm femme presenting or butch presenting. They cool. They speak either way. But you never know. It could be that one extra person there. And it's like when the group is too big or it's too rowdy or you can tell they've been drinking or doing whatever, I just don't have time. So, yeah, it's still really scary, like, and, and then, I mean, you hear the stories and you see the stories and you read the stories. Um, yeah. Like Malaysia. Yeah. She was literally bet on mm. to beat up. And then because the police didn't do their job because they didn't care, she was murdered a month later. Mm-hmm, yeah. So you, you there are all these things that are going on in 2019 that people probably didn't think would still be happening. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one thing that I don't feel like has changed one bit. I don't think that that has gotten any better. I think that there are, I just think it's so much um, corruptness when it comes to like the reports and when it comes to the media about it. We don't know half of the murders that are really happening. We really don't. We don't. We don't know how many. It's just people reported, are trying, right? Yeah. Yes. It's just if it's it's reported and it's if the police reported to the media. See, I first interned at uh, um, civil uh, civil not civil hall city hall in Morrisville Heights, Ohio, and. What happens is you have a communications director inside of City Hall that is making calls to the local news stations and local police departments, and it's like this back and forth. We're trying to figure out the news stations are trying to call the uh, City Halls and police departments to find out what's going on. City Hall is calling the news people and networks to put out uh, public statements to let people know what's going on sometimes. So it's this back and forth uh, thread that happens, and if they are dealing with a murder or an assault that is dealing with a queer or trans person. They have like it's they don't have the right, but they can literally not say anything about it, and they could do the paperwork, file it, and boom, that's it. It's been filed. Wow. It's not sealed. Yes. It's just been filed, and no one's asking, and no one. A lot of times, you know, people may not have family mm-hmm. that is supportive and they may not have a support system that is saying, where is this person? Yeah. What's going on? So we really have no idea at what rate this is really happening. We only have the people that are on social media that have a following, that have family, that have people that support them, that are able to say something happened or something's wrong or this happened and it's not going to go silent. We don't. We have no idea at what rate our people are really being murdered and assaulted and and having all of these hate crimes done because I am not, I'm too grown to believe. I've worked in news. I've worked in city hall. I know how it all works and functions. You can't tell me anything to make me believe that we understand what's really happening with our people. We don't. Yeah. But how do you feel about social media, right? Like you have a big platform. We have a big platform. Um, I know that personally, it's hard for us to post the murders. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we would rather post success stories and, you know, are people thriving? But we do want to make sure that there's a good balance so people tune in, they're aware that these things are happening. Um, what are some things that you do on your platform to share and, sh you know, these stories, um, mm -hmm. even if they're not, you know, happy? Because I think that we right. want to show the good parts, right? But how do you balance that when these uh, things happen? Well, I'll say it is hard to share them, but I do. I... I don't share all of them because if I'm seeing that everybody in my social arena, and that's people that I follow, people mm -hmm. that follow, people that I follow, people that follow me, um, if I see that like the majority is already talking about it, I more so make a statement about it mm -hmm. rather than necessarily posting exactly what happened because I read this post the other day and it's so true. Our minds are not equipped to handle all of the human trauma that we can see and hear now because of the internet. Mm -hmm. Because of the internet, we know when a group of people are murdered in Taiwan. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we just literally would not know that if we didn't have the internet media the way that it is. So I don't, I don't want to, you know, add to the pain or the hurt. I do want to add to the solution. So I always post about it. I may not necessarily post pictures or whatnot. But um, like when Nigel Shelby, mm -hmm. uh, when that happened, I I posted a lot about that because it was very deep to my heart because it's just like... Little black boy. Little black yeah. boy just trying to find himself and was able to, you know, do more than I think a lot of people were able to do when they were in school that are older than him. So, you know, seeing the younger generation, it's a huge inspiration. Like, oh my God, yes, you know, kids can express themselves and be gender neutral and be trans and be themselves, be gay, be bi, be lesbians and, and just live life the same way heteronormative people and cisgender people walk through life and are able to develop and find themselves and not have to wait until they're 30 and 40. So that is like a huge accomplishment and a huge um, inspiration to a lot of people in our community. And to see that happen to him, it was just hard because it's like, is this all like, is it fake? Like, is it not really what we're thinking it is? Are people just wanting to see us visible so that they can harm us, so that they can bully us? Like, do they just want to know so it's like they can eradicate us? Like, it just, it, it was mind-boggling to me. Mm -hmm. So I, I shared that one on everything. But I just try to keep people aware of the violence that comes to our community, the hate crimes. I love sharing the success stories. I love sharing uh, where we're getting more representation, like Pose and, different makeup brands and different companies really bringing us into their campaigns and the runways. And cause you know, I'm big in fashion and media. So like those are normally the things that I'm invested in. So I really like um, sharing those accomplishments uh, when people in our community are able and given the access and work hard because we're hard workers. We are the culture when we're giving uh, when we're given that platform to basically own what's ours. And um, another thing that I do that I don't see a lot of other people do, but it's something that I want to make sure that I'm currently developing so that when I get 30, I'm really abreast of what's going on in politics and world uh, issues. Now I'm always reading somebody's scene. And I was always reading like stuff, but I never read it to digest it. It was more so something happened and I read it and then I may like end up in another article here and another article there. And then I was like, oh, well, okay, well, I know how to surf the web. Great. But now I'm actually making sure that I'm active in reading what's going on in U.S. politics and Europe, uh, Europe's politics, and because a lot of a lot of things happen in trends. So it's like something yeah. will happen here, and then it'll happen over there. It's all connected. Yeah. So yeah. you have to know what's going on everywhere because sometimes you need to know what's coming your way. 
and I share a lot of like policies that are being drawn up. I share a lot of things that are being passed, like policies that have been passed, uh, because a lot of a lot of times people will travel to a state and not even know the laws in that state and get there and gag. And they're like, no, I have the right to da 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 da, and it's like, honestly, in this state, they've literally singled out queer people and said you cannot do that or we have the right to deny you here 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 and here like the bathroom act you have to understand what's going on in all of these different places because we don't live in a world where people stay in one space anymore mm-hmm. like people travel is way easier finding out what's going on and moving from point a to point b is way easier so um i like to share a lot of the informational things that 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 our community is going through and dealing with when it comes to like politics and road issues. So that's kind of how I use my platform to try to keep people abreast of what's going on all around positive, negative and policies. Goodness gracious. For sure. I'm going to get off this. It's a little heavy, but I just wanted to ask uh, about your family. Mm -hmm. When they hear about these things, do you share this information, not just on your platform, but with your family or is your Mm. family following you? Um, And do they check in on you? Like, do they ask, ask, like, how you're feeling? Because I know my mom does that. She's like, mm-hmm. baby, I know things are heavy right now. Mm-hmm. How are you actually feeling? Yeah. Yeah. When, when, it's so crazy. When the Jussie Smollett thing happened, my mom called me. And she was like, how are you? And uh, she kind of did the, 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 uh, the how are you feeling. But um, being honest, no. When things happen in our community, my family do- doesn't reach out. I think they just try to, I think what they try to do sometimes is not necessarily ignore it. But put it to the side because they don't want that to be a reality because I think if they digest it as a reality, then they have to constantly be afraid for me, mm-hmm. which is not true. Well, you would think it make them want to do the work to right, help save right, people. Right, right, right. But again, it's yeah. a lot of where I come from. I come from yeah. Cleveland, Ohio, where they they aren't able to see that everyone is regular. Like Back to visibility. You in, know what I'm saying? Area, they don't you. have the visibility to to see like, oh, crap, this is happening to an entire community of people, not just this one trans person over here, this one trans person over there, mm-hmm. this one gay male over here. They they see it as very, like, situational, and they're not understanding that in other parts of the world, literally, like, one and two hours outside of Cleveland, Ohio, there are huge communities of people that are living their lives, and, and, and I think a lot of times, a lot of families, uh, no matter the race, they kind of put in their brains well you know we may not agree with everything or we may understand that the lgbtq plus community is very diverse and da 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 but you're our baby you're our baby like you know what i'm saying like we don't have to necessarily care about the rest of your community we don't have to accept the rest of your community we don't have to accept homosexuality we don't have to sex uh, uh accept transgender people we don't have to accept non-binary gender fluid people but we accept you baby we love you so i'm not saying that that's what my family does but i feel like that's how they've processed it whether they've known it or not they kind of just look at me and they're just like oh well we love you but when things are happening in my community it's still their community yeah 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 i don't think they understand how direct that could be to me like i understand you're just looking at me but that girl could have lived right across the block from me and because it wasn't me you're just trying to like, oh man, that's so sad that that happened. You know, I'm I'm gonna pray for that family or or whatever, but I'm not gonna necessarily check in and see how Eddie's doing. For sure. So, you know, you get used to it though. I think a lot of queer people. I think we just 
we just have that thicker skin where it's like, you know, a lot of things we're going to have to deal with on our own. And that's why the, our community is so important to us because we kind of come together and build our own families and are able to kind of go through those hard times together. Yeah. Community is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm grateful for people like you. You know, you help me grow so much because, you know, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I've been navigating my masculinity the whole time I met you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been stepping into this whole new realm. You've mm-hmm. been stepping more into your femininity. Right. So I've been watching you grow as well. But you've helped me be very um, conscious of my privilege in my manhood, right? Mm-hmm. And how I treat women and femmes. Mm-hmm. I can't say I love women and not give love to femmes. I have to be very inclusive, mm-hmm. even with the way that I speak, because right. I am walking around as a black man. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are black men that are causing harm to my sisters right. in totality. So I have to be very conscious with how I navigate mm-hmm. with my privilege, because right. people just see male. They don't right. know trans men exist. You feel me? That's so, the thing. Yeah. I remember we were having that conversation before, and I was like, wow, I never really thought about it in that way. Like, of course, you know... Because think about it. I thought about it, but it's like, I didn't really... Yeah, because think about all the events you go to, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Slay TV, and it's no shade to anybody, but it's just people pick who they are familiar with, right? When you are assigned male at birth, Mm -hmm. those type of people will congregate together. Mm -hmm. So in the queer community, it's very binary in the sense of, like, how you were assigned. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of femmes, or femme-presenting humans around normally gay men. Mm Mm-hmm. But they never include men of trans experience. Right. And then when I step into that space, then they're questioning everything. Like, well, why You're am like, I here? And right, like, what are you I doing here? Looking like a man, mm-hmm. they really were, like, shook. Like, mm-hmm. why are you in this space? Right. So it's like there's not even inclusion within the community. So I think that's something that I'm really um, honing in on because I'm, I deserve to be in that space. Mm-hmm. I'm a man. Mm-hmm. I deserve to be in that space. I deserve to be in every space that is right. for my queer people. But it's very... Um, separate mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate but um let's switch the subjects i want to talk about something more yeah. more, more like i was gonna say yeah, yeah the community is very uh segregated at times it, it is um i mean we can talk about that forever it sure can. but i would like to talk about something <laughs> a little lighter because um i'm just happy that you exist mm-hmm. and that you're living that you're Thank thriving you. and all the work that you're doing it, it resonates with so many people that may or may not identify as you do mm-hmm. and that's the the brilliance of your work right? and that's the goal that it's it's a human experience it's it's a human journey like people tune in because they might like makeup or they might mm-hmm. like your wigs and they like your fashion it doesn't it's not because of wigs have, I don't wear wigs oh, no I'm just playing I'm just playing I'm just playing <laughs> oh that's yours I'm, I'm just sorry. playing mama told, mom, mom taught me not to say that and not to I'm say just that. kidding no, um, but you know I think that's the beauty of it when people start to tune in to people because they're just into that person and they're not thinking about how you have sex and who you date mm-hmm. and that nature so I want to know five things you love about yourself or five things that you want people to get mm. from you like who is Eddie I love my um, positive outlook on life. Mm-hmm. I'm all I'm always a positive person. Like I'm just always a positive person. I always try to tell people bad days are a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, literally everything that's thrown at you, you may not understand why it's happening, but by the end of the day, you're gonna be like, "Oh, see, if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have did this. I wouldn't have did that, and got that amazing opportunity. Ended up in the right space at the right time." Mm-hmm. Uh, so my positive outlook on life is one. My sense of humor. Is my second one because I love making people laugh. I'm a Virgo, so I'm a people pleaser. So I just love making everybody as happy as possible. Um, other things that I like about myself. 
I like my ability to love. I'm a very hard lover. Like once you are a friend in my eyes or someone that I'm like dating exclusively or family, or like if you go from friend to being family, it's my ability to love is crazy. I will always, I always look out for people before me. So like we could be in a situation and it'd be as simple as we have three stops to make. I, and my stop was one of them. I don't care if we stop there first, second. Like I don't even care if we get to mine. I just want to make sure everything happens in a way that everyone is happy. So um, that's my ability to love. And my last two are my two-spiritness. Mm. I love that about myself. I love that I have the freedom within my gender to um, really ride the spectrum wherever I see fit. Um, sometimes I'm very androgynous and it's like very Grace Jones about the situation. Mm. Other times I'm like hyper femme. Other times I'm butch. Um, it's just, it's it's fun to me, one. And two, it's, it's really freeing to really just explore yourself as an entire being. Like, I have all of these things in me and I hone them and it's like amazing. It feels amazing. And I just, I honestly feel bad for a lot of people that don't explore themselves in entirety. Mm -hmm. I think that's crazy, but um, let me see. And my ability to understand, I'm a very understanding person. Like I'm very forgiving. Now I'm not going to say for being forgiving is one of my favorite qualities about myself because <laughs> it's not, but being able to understand where people are coming from, being able to understand different perspectives and um, communicate within those different avenues. It's like, once you can understand something, you literally have full power of your role in that situation. Cause you get to choose if you're gonna deal with it, if you're not gonna deal with it, what needs to change, uh, what you may need to change. It's, it's being able to understand things is amazing. And it's so funny cause Kylie said a few, Kylie Jenner said a few years ago, it was, I think it was like 2016, she was like, this is like the year of like really understanding and I'm just like, yeah, girl. Yeah, girl. It sure is. It's always the year to understand stuff. Yeah, so. every year. Every year. We're trying year. to understand. We're trying to grow. We're trying to every elevate, year. right? Um, so with the world being so heavy, right? Let's, mm -hmm. let's just, we, we, we putting a shade on that right now. What brings you the most joy? Like, what is joy? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What are you wearing? What is joy to you? Joy to me is uh, complete transparency within our world. I feel like we used to be that way thousands and thousands, of, many thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, history that isn't even documented anywhere that's been erased because people wanted to be in power. Mm -hmm. um, but pure joy for me is complete transparency between every human being, being able to completely be yourself, being able to go in a school and see uh, queer teachers and Asian teachers and black teachers and heteronormative teachers and cisgender teachers, just everywhere in on on television. Your newscaster, your weather woman, uh, your librarian, your auntie, your uncle, and not having these family secrets. And oh yeah, you know your uncle is your uncle, but he used to be like all of that. Like I just I cannot wait until our world is at a complete transparent moment and everybody can be as unapologetic as they freaking choose to be. They can be themselves and not have to apologize for any ounce of them. That is pure joy to me. That is brilliant and beautiful. That's when I and can it, walk around and be like, yeah. what's that, y'all? <laughs> I wish I wish for that day. I think that's mm -hmm. what we're all working towards collectively. Um, what is some advice that you would give to your younger self 
You can even make it a mm. Dear Eddie letter if you want to. Um, really just talk to people that were like, you know, baby Eddie. And, right. and, and let them know that there is hope and there, there can be a future. Because we talked about Nigel Shelby, right? Mm-hmm. Like, talk to Nigel, someone that is that young, who's free and who's knows who they are. And they're not able to be who they are because of their environment. Right. Yeah. Um, what I would tell to, I'm sorry, um, a younger me or a younger person like me is to trust yourself first and foremost. Trust every feeling that you feel. Don't feel like you're crazy. Don't let people tell you that you're crazy. Don't let people tell you that you're going to pray it away. Don't let people tell you anything other than they love you. Um, trust yourself. Find yourself. Be open with people. One thing I would tell uh, someone that was a younger me, if you have a loving family, which my family is very loving, they're very supportive. Um, nobody in my family has ever treated me bad or negatively. If you have that type of situation in your life, please, please, please open up to those people. Please allow those people to get to know you because it hurts on both ends when you are coming out to your family and they've gotten to know you for this side of you. And then when you come out, it's like, they kind of feel like, well, dad, I didn't get to know the other side of you. Like you held that from me without giving me a decision. So if you have a family that's supportive, if you, if you have friends that are supportive, it would definitely be to open up to them as soon as you can, as soon as you feel comfortable, don't wait. As soon as you get the angst, just blurt it out, text it out, email it out, post it out. We have so many different um, platforms and avenues to share our thoughts and, and share who we are and share experiences. And I would say to use them with discretion. You don't want to put yourself in harm's way when it comes to bullying and violence and all of that. But if you have that support system, don't hide it from those people that love you. Um, Another thing I would tell them is to, you know, build that tough skin because everybody in the world is going to love you and like you the way that your family and your friends do and that you love and like yourself. You should be loving and liking yourself. And to really explore yourselves younger. Don't wait into your 20s. Don't wait into your 30s. Don't wait into your 40s because those are years that I won't say are wasted because you experienced, you lived, you laughed, you loved, hopefully. But you don't want to wake up one day and say, I'm going to be who I am. And you you have this conflict where it's like, well, dag, 30 years have gone past. It's just a type of regret that nobody wants to live with and that you don't have to live with, I think, anymore because now we do have the internet. We do have social media. You can find groups. You can find people. You can find the support. Um, there's a lot more access for people like us. There's a lot more resources for people like us. It may not be perfect. We may be going through a lot of back and forth when it comes to policies and laws and this is not in the fifth, but it's a whole lot of worlds of a difference than what it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. So, Please just start sooner. Just be yourselves as quick as possible. As soon as you find yourself, be yourself, explore yourself, love yourself. That's what I would tell a younger person like me. That was beautiful. Um, I would like you to take this moment to tell people about anything that's coming up that you would like to share, you know, self-promo, do your thing. Yes, a little soft plug. Yeah, have fun. Yeah. All right. So again, you all, my name is Eddie Jarrell Jones with an X on the end. That is my branded name. 
Um, it's the same as my name. It's just the X on the end because I'm extra. Duh. Uh, and my social media on everything is Eddie Jarrell Jones. That's E-D-D-I-E-J-A-R-E-L Jones. Um, I think that's pretty regular. Um, but some things that I have going on and coming up, of course, it's prize season right now. So I've uh, gone to a few prides. I've traveled to a few prides. I've been able to, you know, make some uh great acquaintances and meet people and really find out about different things that are going on in different cities and what they're doing to progress and move forward, move their communities forward. But right now I have a World Pride 2019 collaboration out. It's an eyewear collaboration. It's sunglasses. So they are pride sunglasses. They have World Pride 2019 inscribed on the inside of them. And then they have pride on the outside of them, which is a different type of transcription because like you can see through it. I don't know the exact term for it. It's in my email, but um, you can like see pride through the arm of the glasses. So that's a lot of fun. And uh, that's a collaboration with King Children. All of my frames are available in the six different colors of our beautiful rainbow flag. And they also come with like different lenses. So you can get like mirrored lenses and stuff. They're available online and they'll be available in the Fluid Project in June. So that's exciting. And as far as pride and things that are coming up, oh my goodness, it's things that I literally can't talk about that are like done. They've been filmed. They've been like literally resting for like in limbo for like weeks now. And I'm just like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, put it out, put it out, put it out. So I can share it with my audience and share it with my friends and family. Really excited about those things. But I am going to be at every single pride event. I'm hosting damn near half of them. Um, and that is a blessing. I've been working my butt off to really, really hustle in my industry and really make sure that somebody like me is seen on the stage, is seen in front of the camera, not just behind the camera, not just producing, making sure that we are on these red carpets and that we are getting to ask the questions that we want to ask and getting our perspective out there in the media and in mainstream media because it's, it's beautiful that we have a, a queer media that is like really developing right now, but it's also just as important to infiltrate mainstream media because they, they, they need the information too because we can't just be bossing ourselves up and then hit the front lines and they're still confused about what's going on. They need to know this is what's happening, this is what's popping, this is what we're doing, and we're here to stay. So I'm um, really inserting myself in mainstream media this Pride season. I cannot wait. I am, what are things that I can say right now? I'm going to be um, doing Social for Slay Fest, so that's coming up. I'm a part of that team, so Slay Fest is really going to be huge this year. Make sure you're following us um, and following me so that you can really, because I repost everything. That's going to be a huge festival. I am booked for Westchester. I'm trying to think of promos that are out already. I'm performing at Westchester Pride June 3rd. So, you know, if this is up by then, that's this Sunday, I'll be there. I am performing at Moby Fest. That is June 15th. Um, I'm speaking at an event June 8th. Um, it's called Speak Out. It's at the center, the LGBT, uh, the LGBT center in Manhattan. What else is already out that's going on? I don't know, but I'm about to post this like little NYC uh, pride tour, like Eddie's pride tour, different events that I'll be speaking at, being at, appearing at, and hosting and emceeing so that, you know, people that support and that want to know what's going on and that want to have a little bit of fun and really enjoy this season and be around people and be in places that they can feel safe. Um, 
I'll be sharing that with everyone. So that's what's going on. So mainly if you follow me on my social media, you will know what's going on. But those are like the things I can remember off the top of my head, which is a lot. Yes. And that's Eddie, E-D-D-I-E. J-A-R-E-L. Jones. Jones. With the X on the end. (laughs) With the X on the end. Honestly, once you type in my first and second name, you'll get me. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, you know, I try, I try. I'm just so proud of you. Thank you. You you came to New York. You had a plan. You are moving through your realm of authenticity. I feel like you're like you're you're there. Like Mm -hmm. you are you. Like the person that you always wanted to be. Yeah, I am. It's so much fun. (laughs) While while doing so much work at the same time, it's a lot. You are thriving. It's a lot. There are times, though, there are times that are very hard, and um, I know a lot of people can attest to this and relate. It's a lot of of mental work that goes into finding yourself and being yourself and being able to present yourself as you see yourself. Like, that is mentally debilitating right there because you're constantly breaking yourself down. You're constantly self-reflecting, which self-reflecting and being self-aware is a tough, tough, tough cookie sometimes because you learn things about yourself that you may not like and then that you want to change. And sometimes those changes don't come as fast as you want them. And then also balancing, you know, the pressures from the industry and the career field that you're in. That is also something that is super tough. And I have like really bad FOMO, like fear of missing out when it comes, not parties and stuff. I'll miss out on a party. I'll chill at home in a minute and get my wig ready, my, my wig outfit and makeup ready for the next day. But when I like miss, when I feel like I missed out on like an event, even if it was just to go networking, I just feel like, oh my God, I didn't meet the people I wanted to meet or bump into the people I was hoping I was going to see and, you know, rekindle some relationships and some, and really nurture some business relationships and networking relationships. But I've learned that, you know, what's for you is going to be for you. And as long as you're focused on all parts of what that is, it's going to come to you. So, yeah. This has been crazy. I completely agree. And this is a, a beautiful time to be trans, to be black, to thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to leave the people with one word that they can remember you by. If it's not your name. If it is your name, that's cool, too. Um, so, Eddie is... Unapologetic. All right. Well, thanks so much for this <laughs> opportunity to talk to you and yeah, share. Thank you your for voice. having me here and yes. having me speak. This was brilliant. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right.